Well, hello, young adults. How we doing? I love it. Man, we better be doing good tonight, considering the fact that we're Super Bowl champions. That's what we have. That's what we have in this room right now is a bunch of world champs. You guys look good as world champs, man. I'll tell you what, that's how you know that this is going to be a good night at church because not only did the Broncos win the Super Bowl, not only am I wearing my cool shoes, but tonight we are, we are kicking off a brand new series called Glory City, How to Start a Revival. And basically, okay, you guys are fired up. I love this. Basically... The heart behind this series is, is our staff. We believe with all our hearts, man, that, that um, revival is in our midst right now, that it's not just something that like, we're waiting on to show up one day. Like It's here and now. Like you heard in that song, the atmosphere is changing now. The evidence is all around. The spirit of God is here. Crazy things are about to happen. Revival is in our midst. I heard Judah Smith say um, a couple weeks ago, that Christians are notorious for a lot of things, but maybe one thing we're most notorious for is missing revival when it's right in front of our faces. And we, we, we're not gonna let that happen. And so that's what this series is about. We wanna see it, understand it, and grab a hold of it so that we do not miss it, man, because something is stirring. I don't know if you guys feel it in your heart, but it has been for a while. Something is brewing and something big is in our presence right now. And if Sunday night's game was not proof of that, then I don't know what is proof of that. I felt, I felt so loved, man, like God was looking down like, you see how much I love you and your city, every soul in Denver, I just love them so much and, and here is your proof. And so revival is in our midst and if you don't feel that, then I just want to encourage you, maybe challenge you, spend some time this week just asking God to show you because the Bible says when you seek, you will find. When you knock, he's going to open the door to you. When you ask him, he will show you the things that are unseen that are right in front of you. So ask him to show you the things that are unseen because revival is here. It is here right now. We are not waiting on it. It is in our presence at this moment. And it's a very scary but very exciting time to be alive and to be a Christian in our world in this time in history. And so tonight, man, I just want to get real. I want to get real about life, about God, and about revival, we got to get real in church, man. And, and just what I believe with all my heart, um, because of the Bible, what is the foundational element of revival? And it's something the Bible refers to as the fear of God, the fear of God. And, and right away, you might hear that, or maybe you've read it before. And if you don't fully understand what it means, it can kind of rub you the wrong way at first, like, whoa, 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 fear God? Like, I thought God was entirely love, man. You're, you're saying that God is fear? What about all the times in the Bible where he says not to fear anything? Joshua 1.9, be strong, be courageous, do not be terrified or discouraged for the Lord. You gotta be with you wherever you go. What about all the verses like that? But at the same time, he's telling me to be afraid? That, that sounds like kind of a contradiction, Doug. I'm looking forward to hearing you explain your way out of this one. Like, fear and grace? I didn't know that there was fear and grace. Is he trying to make me feel bad for everything I've ever done? And of course, if you don't know this, or if you just need to be reminded, like you've had one of those weeks, the answer to every one of those questions is a resounding no. Your faith is not fear-based. You are not a slave. You are not an employee. There's no level of morality that you need to hit before you die to get into heaven. If you got Jesus, you're in heaven. You got everything you need. He, he is your ticket in. You are a son. You are a daughter of the living God. Make no mistake, you're in the family. You just happen to have a dad who is big and worthy of your fear. You happen to have a heavenly father who is very big and very, very, very 
worthy of fear. And, um, and that's how you want him. I promise you, you want him that way. And if you remember, God is, God, God is worthy of our fear, but God is entirely composed of love. And if you remember, love by definition is both grace and truth. We preach grace all the time in here. And so what I'm asking you to do tonight is hear some truth tonight through the filter of the grace that makes you white as snow and perfect and holy and blameless and spotless in your chair tonight. So put on your lenses of grace to see the truth that God is worthy of your fear. He's worthy to be feared and you want him that way. Like if you were to somehow put God right here, just right there, and then over here you were to put all of your fears that you've ever had, literally everything that's ever kept you awake at night and ever will for the rest of your life and you were to somehow neatly stack it over here and then stand back and look at both God and your fears side by side, one of them would be awe-inspiring and, and horrifyingly majestic and worthy of your reverence and your fear and your respect and your worship. And the other one, your fears, would be cowering somewhere in his shadow. Sean Johnson would say that the fear of God, like fear God and you can fear not. Fear God and, and you have everything you need. Revere him and every other fear that you have kind of just seems to fade away. When you're on his side, you're on the side that's going to win. When your chips are all in over here, everything else that has ever gripped you as far as fear goes loses its power because you realize he has conquered everything. That's why the Bible tells us over 300 times, 300 times, you guys, that, that fearing God is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The fear of God is a wonderful, wonderful place. Ah, sorry, I just needed that. The fear of God is a wonderful, wonderful starting point for basically everything. Like go read Genesis chapter 42 and you're gonna see Joseph winning the respect of his older brothers when he tells them that he is a God-fearing man. They just happen to like that. Go read Exodus chapter nine and what you're gonna see is Pharaoh bringing devastation and destruction on the entire nation of Egypt because he failed to fear God. Go read Exodus chapter 18. What you're gonna see is Moses trying to appoint people in different roles of leadership for the Israelites and he chooses them based on whether or not they fear God because he knows if they fear God, I can trust them and they're not gonna take bribes from people. Flip through the book of Proverbs and you're gonna find, you're gonna see the smartest dude who has ever lived, King Solomon, tell you over 30 times that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That when you fear, that fear God or else everything else is in vain that you will ever do. Fear God and, and, and that's, where, that's where repentance begins. Fear God and you will start to hate the evil that's in your life. And you're gonna find the same thing in the book of Psalms. I think David in Psalm maybe 34 says that when you fear God, you lack nothing. All right, and, and then go to the New Testament and read through every single one of the Gospels and hear the words that come straight out of the mouth of Jesus, like Matthew 10, 18, where Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He's talking to people who have dudes after them who are trying to murder them, and he's saying, don't fear them. They can kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. If you want to be afraid, fear the God who can both destroy your body and your soul in hell. 
the fear of God, I told you, we're getting real tonight, man. The fear of God keeps us from craving into our sinful nature. It keeps us from continuing to put our hope in these fickle things that, 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 that fall out from beneath the weight that we put on them and, and leave us wounded and broken time and time again. Therefore, the fear of God lifts us out of that way of living into a new way of living where you put your hope in something or rather someone that actually works. The fear of God, man, it leads you to this ultimate perspective where you begin to understand that he is ferociously holy and that if you were to if you were to stand in his complete glory right now you you would literally drop dead that's what happens in the bible a couple of times you would drop dead that's how holy ferociously holy god is the fear of god Man, it, it, like when you start to fear God, you understand how big and powerful and strong he is and that, that he, could, he could take the planet that you and I live on right now and crush it between his fingers like you would crush a little green pea or something like that. When you fear God, you're not just satisfied if he has just part of your life. You begin to understand you do not let God just have this part and this part and this part of your life. You cannot put him into compartments. He doesn't work that way. He will not relent until he has every part of you. And when you fear him, you begin to want him to have every part of your life and you understand that man there's there's no such thing as being a part-time christian that concept just doesn't work when you fear god every other fear that you have ever had begins to lose its grip on you and is revealed in front of you for how stupid and phony and fake and mirage like it was the entire time that you were a slave to it you're freed from that here's another one the fear of god leads you to begin to, to no longer tolerate the habitual sin that is in your life. You know, the sin that, that no one else really knows about that you've had for so long, and let's be honest, at this point, you think that you can kind of control it and just want to keep it as like a, a pet in some kind of weird way? It doesn't work. And the fear, of, when you start to fear him more, you begin to hate, hate, hate the evil or the sin in your life. And you want it, you want it out of your life. And rather than keeping it as a pet, you want to murder it violently through the grace of Jesus Christ. When you begin to fear God, you understand that you can leave young adults and go home and then actually do something about your addiction to pornography or to prescription pills or the fact that you've been sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend for the past year. God has, he wants so much more from you. God is not trying to rob anything from you he has nothing to gain from any sacrifice that you could give him nothing to gain and when you when you begin to fear him you start to want what he wants for you and you start to hate the things that are holding you back and you turn from the things that are holding you back and you fix your eyes on him on the things above which is repentance and that means that the fear of God is is the beginning of revival and so if you're going to write down one thing tonight if you're going to remember one thing a year from now make it this the fear of God gives rise to revival. Fear of God gives rise to revival. Oh, it's good. Sorry, my mouth is dry. I feel like Sean Johnson up here drinking water. My, uh, my junior year of college, I studied abroad in Sydney, Australia. And uh, to say that I studied while abroad is a little generous. It's a lie, actually, is what it is. <laughs> they, what they should say is, hey, who in here wants to go chill on the beach abroad instead of study here and somehow have it look good on your resume? Uh, 
Yeah, I'll do that. That's, that sounds fantastic. So I did, and it was awesome. I specifically remember saying goodbye to my parents, my mom and my dad, at the airport, and, and my mom made me promise her that I wasn't going to do anything stupid, that I was going to be safe and, and not do anything dangerous, and I, I promised her that, and like five days into my trip, man, I, has anybody in here had like ever had like a near-death experience? Anybody in here? A few people? I see a few people. So in Sydney, there is a famous surf beach called Bondi Beach, and it's famous for um, tourism, big waves, riptides, and tons of fun. And so me and all my roommates, man, we were sold. We busted over to Bondi Beach to hang out for the day. And, and Bondi Beach is kind of like a gigantic cove. And so if this stage is the sand, and I'm, look, I'm looking out at the ocean, so you guys are the ocean right now. And then on each side, there's like these huge cliffs that jet out into the ocean. And at the bottom where the waves crash on them is like these sharp, jaggedy, blood-covered rocks, you know? I'm kidding, kind of, kind of. And so, and on the beach, you kind of get a mental picture of it. On the beach, there's these two flags set up that you're supposed to swim in between. You're supposed to swim in between the flags, not a hard rule to follow. One, so that the lifeguards can keep an eye on you. Number two, so that, um, because outside of the flags, it's just dangerous. There's scary stuff out there, things like riptides and sharks and the black pearl and krakens and, and pirates and bad things like that. So you don't want to go outside of the flags unless you're a surfer and you have a surfboard that you can float on, and that's gonna be key later in this story. But anyways, we're hanging out, we're having a blast, man. It's just a great day. And then later, late in the afternoon, right before we're about to leave, like right at high tide, my, my new roommate Dan and I, we decide that like we, we wanna go swim outside of the flags because that's where all the big waves are. And we're strong, we're good swimmers, we can handle ourselves. Like you know the part of your brain, I don't remember what it's called, but the part that, that screams at you, hey, this is stupid, don't do this. And in males, it doesn't fully develop until you're like 25 or 30, which is why you do so many stupid things. Like, at the time, at the time, I didn't have that. I totally, totally do now. But at the time, at the time, that wasn't fully developed. So I'm like, Dan, let's go. Like, this is, this is us, man. Let's go. And, and I'm thinking, back home, too, at this time, I'm a lifeguard. Like, I guard lives back home. It's what I do, okay? And I'm thinking that, and like, even though the pool back home was like a four-foot deep pool, and the only time you'd rescue kids is when, like, the little ones are holding on to the side, and then they slip off and panic, and you go, oh, here you go. Just saved your life. I'm heroic. I'm heroic in my town. And I'm thinking that, I'm like, dude, I'm a hero back home. Let's go out and swim in these waves. It's not gonna be a big deal. It looks like a ton of fun. And for the first two minutes, man, it was a ton of fun, all right? Until we realize when we're out there, outside of the flags and the big waves, we look back and we're like, oh, we're far away from shore. Did we swim out this far? No, we didn't. We, uh, we're caught in a riptide, bro. We are caught in a riptide right now. And just in case you don't know, for future reference, if you ever need it, if you ever get caught in a riptide, what you're not supposed to do is fight the riptide because it will beat you. It will win and you will die. It's just science. What you're supposed to do is just gently swim with the riptide, even if it kind of carries you out to sea because eventually it'll dump you off and you'll be out of the current and then you can gently swim back into the shore and you're safe. I didn't know that at the time. And so I'm thinking, 
I'm a hero back home. I can fight these way. I can fight this current, man. And I, I, I remember so vividly, like, putting my head down and doing the freestyle for, like, 60 seconds as hard as I could. And then I lifted my head up, and I'm like, oh, I lost, like, 30 feet. I was, like, 30 feet farther away from the shore. And all my energy was just depleted because I swam so hard. And, and I'm looking at Dan, and he's in the same boat as me, and he's kind of delirious, just, like, laughing, like, this is it. I, this is actually it. <laughs> And I'm like, well, at least, at least I don't have to die alone. I guess that's like the silver lining that I felt. That was my ray of sunshine in that moment. And I remember just saying, like, Dan, for what it's worth, man, I think we could have been great friends. <laughs> and uh, it's, a scary, it's a scary place to be when you feel completely, utterly helpless and like there, I, there's nothing that I can do right now. I feel so small so powerless, so, so easily killed, like I'm on the edge of eternity in the midst of something this big and this powerful, and I can't do anything about it. And as I'm thinking this, like 10 seconds after that, finally what we see are these two lifeguards who come over the massive waves that are in front of us on these two surfboards, and they come up to us. The guy like smirks at me, pulls me out of the water, puts me on a surfboard, and then we go land on those rocks by that cliff and we climb out that way. And um, I'm thinking, I just got rescued. And I'm so happy to be alive, but your confidence kind of, kind of takes a shot when that happens. You're like, I just had to be rescued by a cool tan Australian guy named Chapo. <laughs> I'm like, I am, I am no longer a hero. I now have a hero and his name is Chapo. And I meet up with Dan and we start walking back to the beach and there's just like a crowd of people clapping for us and applauding for us on the beach and a camera crew filming the entire thing. And it turns out there's a reality like Baywatch television show called Bondi Rescue, which is very popular TV show in Australia and parts of Europe as well. And long story short, two weeks later, I was on Bondi Rescue as the stupid American tourist who had to get saved because he couldn't read the sign. That was me. And just in case, just in case you don't believe me, watch this. Solid swell has created a powerful rip at the south end. Two swimmers have unwittingly launched themselves straight into it. One of them decided to swim towards the bergs. He's going to be in trouble, I think. The swimmers stand no chance against the torrent. You're going you're to have to get down there now. You're going to have to go in. H and Chapo have to respond from the other end of the beach. H and Chapo race to South Bondi where two swimmers are being swept out in a rip. Two of them right at the back. With every second, they are dragged further out. H and Chapo use the rip as an express route out to the swimmers. Hey, get on behind me. Collecting the two men is one thing. The challenge is getting them safely to shore. Chapo still makes no headway against the rip. Chapo might be losing ground, but H's unorthodox manoeuvre looks alarmingly dangerous. Then, like magic, 
the swimmer is delivered to safety. As Chapo struggles, the old sea dog takes command. All the way from Colorado, Daniel and Doug didn't expect to be rock climbing at Bondi. All right. You all right? Yeah, man, thanks. All right. Up the rock. Hey, our pleasure, mate. Highly unorthodox, but highly effective. Old sea dog knew exactly where to go. I'm over there struggling the rip. Before we knew it, we were just dragged all the way out here, and then a surfer came and said, You okay? I was being bashful. And I don't know where he was, but I couldn't get up. I'm glad he came and got me. Really like, am. if you guys want to ride, we'll give you a ride. If not, we're, we're leaving you here. So I was like, oh, I'll take her ride in. I'm glad they got me. <laughs> me too. But the American visitors aren't the only ones who've learned a thing or two about Bondi. I do appreciate that, but the judgment is palatable in this room. Yeah, but give it up for Chapo. Thank you, Chapo. Hey, we've all done dumb things, man. I'm not proud of this. I really am not. Like, I got recognized in the months following that, but it was never like, hey, man, so cool that you were on Bondi Rescue. It was always, hey, aren't you the stupid American tourist who had to get saved because you couldn't read the sign that said, don't swim here because you will die. Isn't that you? Like, aren't you the stupid American tourist? Like, I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't the best representative forest guys in Down Under, and I owe you an apology, but I did learn a powerful lesson that day, a lesson that I can now pass on to all of you, that the ocean is stronger than you. The ocean is bigger than you, and if you fight it, the ocean will win, which means that you will lose. That's the negative side of that, and no matter how like prepared or strong or ready or big we think that we might be, man, I, I, I learned, man, I am so I am so mortal, so fragile, so easily killed in something as powerful as the ocean, and it deserves my respect, it, reserve, it deserves my awe and my reverence, and, and the funny thing is, you, you wouldn't think this, but after an experience like that, like, I just, I love the ocean all the more with that kind of perspective now, like, I fear it and love it all the more at the exact same time because it, like, ignites this wonder inside of me, and I now, I stand on the edge of it with a tinge of fear with a little bit more knowledge of how majestic and powerful the thing that is in front of me is. And, and I love it. I love just knowing that something that powerful is out there. I don't know if you've ever felt that feeling. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is, man, if, if, the, if something like the ocean is that powerful, then what does that say about the God who tells oceans what to do? You know what I mean? What, what about the God who tells oceans what to do? What does that say about him? It's the same concept, just magnified about a million times. And the tinge of fear that I experience when a healthy fear and perspective of God, a perspective of God invades my life is I just love him and want to submit to him and follow him all the more because I understand, like, man, this, this Christianity thing, this is, this is not a game. Like, God, you are, the, you are the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Everything that is, that is seen, you have created. Everything that is seen, you have created. You sit on a throne that is in a realm that I, I can't even see right now. Your name is victory. All praise and glory belongs to you, and he is worthy of fear. He is worthy of awe, and he is worthy, you guys, of our reverence. And when that kind of fear 
the fear of God, the healthy fear of God falls on an entire city or nation made up, a bunch of, made up of a bunch of individuals, then it, that, that's the kind of thing that leads to revival, is a bunch of individuals having the Spirit of God invading their hearts. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 19 really quick. I want to show you this, how this has happened historically. Um, right now, we live in the age of the church, and the, this age began back in the day in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 during Pentecost. And, and since that day, it has, it has launched out in every single direction like a, like a blazing fire. And it's only been, flamed, been, been fanned into bigger and bigger flames by persecution and by men and women who are cur- courageous enough to, to live it out despite that persecution. And one of those courageous men was a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. You, you probably heard of him. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And Paul was like an old school church planner and traveling preacher he would go to cities outside of Jerusalem and, and start to spread the news. And that's what he did in Ephesus, a city called Ephesus. He, he landed there and stayed there for a couple of years just, just telling people about Jesus and preaching the gospel. And, and it slowly, slowly started to catch in a pretty powerful way. Like people who had never heard it started to be just captured by it. An entire city began to be captured by it. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 19, starting in 11 really quick. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Check this out right here. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So that's like a a level of the spirit moving that probably none of us have ever seen, at least yet in our lives. Like like handkerchiefs that Paul touched had the power to, to heal people and get demons to be casted out of people. And everybody is noticing all these, these crazy things that the Spirit of God is doing through Paul. And then that there, there's, there's this group of brothers that the Bible calls the uh, seven sons of Sceva. And uh, they observe Paul cast a demon out of a guy. And they decide that they want in on that action, except they don't know Jesus. And so they, as a bunch of brothers, set out to find another guy who is possessed by a demon, and they find one. And so they just pretty much quote Paul to this guy. They say, hey, in the name of the Jesus guy that that Paul guy talked about, come out of this guy right now. And, and the demon talks back to them. And so this is like an uh-oh, holy crap kind of moment. And what the demon says back to them is, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of. And I love that, like, Jesus I know. Jesus, I absolutely know, like the, 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 the spiritual realm, demons in the spiritual realm understand that God is worthy of fear way more than we do. James, in his letter that he wrote, he says, oh, you believe in God? Good. So do the demons, and they shudder at the very audible sound of the name Jesus Christ. They understand what it means to fear God, all right? So I love that. Yeah, Jesus, I know Jesus. I get that. And Paul, I've heard of Paul. And I think it's so cool that the demon had heard of Paul. So apparently there was some kind of clamor or murmuring in the demonic part of the spiritual realm between demons about this guy, Paul, who was causing them so much trouble and who was doing so much crazy things. That's like the ultimate compliment to have a demon like, oh, I've heard of that guy. We don't like that guy. That guy's high up on our list. That's just awesome to me. Yeah, Jesus I know and I've heard of Paul. But then he says, catch this. But who are you? And I want to read this to you just so you know that this this is in the Bible. 
This is chapter 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And so if you've ever lost a fist fight before, at least feel better about yourself reading this because you were probably wounded a little bit, but you probably didn't leave that fight like naked without your clothes, completely wounded and bloody all over the place. Like I heard a pastor say once, that's more than a physical wound, man. That's like a soul kind of wound. That's going to do something to your confidence for a lot longer than having to get saved by Chapa would do something to your confidence. That, that goes deep, man. And, and all of Ephesus heard about what had happened with these seven brothers. And not only that, but they observed and they witnessed all these crazy things that the Spirit of God was doing through Paul. And what the Bible says next is that a fear of God fell on the entire city. And the name of Jesus Christ, consequently, was extolled. Here we go, verse 17. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. So people are repenting. Not, not privately, but publicly. A number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight for everybody to see. They brought all their stuff out to the streets and started burning it. They counted the value of all of them and it was found that it came to about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So a healthy fear of God fell on the city and the church blew up. It just blew up like there was a stirring through Ephesus that led to an awakening of individual people to their creator. People repented. Idols were burned in the streets. Public repentance. So that's not like, that's, I don't fear man anymore. I fear, I fear him. Therefore, I'll repent publicly, man. I'll do it in front of you. I'll bring all of my stuff out that I know I shouldn't have. All this sinful stuff that I've been doing for my business. Like business owners came and burned all their stuff in the streets. People were repenting all at the same time businesses that once made profit from sinful things started to go out of business because people just lost interest in those things like can you imagine that happening in Denver where sinful businesses start just going out of business because nobody wants to go to them anymore the night that I can drive home from young adults along Alameda and Federal and there's no more strip clubs because they all shut down because nobody wants to go to them anymore can you imagine what that would look like? That's possible. It happened in Ephesus, but only with a move of God, a healthy fear of God occupying the hearts of a bunch of individual people in an entire city can be changed overnight. Like people were getting saved left and right. Heaven became more crowded by the minute, by the minute, every single day. And the fear of God fell on people one heart at a time. And so for a nation, for, for a revival to happen in a nation, it, it needs to happen in a state like Colorado. And for a revival to happen in Colorado, it must happen in a city. Why not Denver? And for a revival to happen in Denver, it must happen in a church that's in Denver. And if we're talking about this one specifically, for a revival to happen in this church, it needs to happen individually in you. And so revival begins with you. Revival doesn't begin with the 900 young adults that are sitting around you or even the 50 young adults that are in the same row as you or the person sitting next to you. Revival begins in your heart, right? Everybody wants to see things changed, but can you see things changed internally inside of you? Because that's where revival starts. <clears throat> and so my question, my question 
for you tonight, just for you, is okay, so what, like, what do you fear? What is it? Because you fear something because you're a human being and that's just what we do. We fear something. What is it that you fear? Do you fear your past? Do you fear like you've, you've just messed up too many times in too many ways for God to still love you or forgive you? Or do you fear your future, all the variables and unknowns about your future? Do you fear like, will I ever get a job that I enjoy? Will I ever even get a job? Am I gonna graduate? Am I gonna fail the next round of midterms? Will I ever pay off all of my student debt? Like, do you fear like, will I ever find a husband? Will I ever find a wife? Are, are, do you, are you horrified of like dying by yourself, of dying alone? Do you fear like ending up like your mom or your dad? And do you fear like the generational curses that have haunted your family for years is gonna hold true for you as well? Like guys in here, do you ever fear like, am I not enough? Am I not strong enough? Do I not have what it takes? Like ladies in the room, do you ever fear like, am I not pretty enough? Am I not beautiful enough? Am I, am I not wanted? Do you ever have those fears? Do you fear other people? Do you, do you have the fear of man inside of you? Do you fear what people say about you when you're not in the room? Do, do you fear losing somebody close to you this year? Do you fear dying yourself? Like these are legit fears. And you see the funny and beautiful thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you don't need to fear any of that stuff anymore. It sounds too good to be true. I promise you it's not. When you begin to fear God, you're like, man, like if, if this is, if he is for me, like are you seeing this? If he is for me, what's gonna be against me? What kind of fear is gonna come against me? And so here's what I know about me. One day, one day I am going to die. One day I will die and I'll close my eyes for the last time and open them and my king, Jesus Christ, will be standing right in front of me. And in that moment, man, I'll understand maybe a little bit of how horrifyingly majestic my king, Jesus Christ, is. Maybe like, and band, you guys can get back out here. Revelation 19, this is John's vision of Jesus. This is what he says. Then I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but him. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is our King Jesus Christ in one day one day I am going to stand in front of him and in that moment it's going to fully click what it means to fear and love God all at the same time and I imagine this and I don't have like a bible verse for this but I, I just imagine this happening like I'm there in front of my king in front of Jesus Christ and I imagine him holding up in front of me everything that I ever feared throughout my entire life even my enemy, like the devil himself and death itself, him holding it up in front of me so that I can see it for what it really is behind all the lights and smoke and mirrors and Wizard of Oz effects for what that thing really is. And, and I know this might sound a little gory to you, but I kind of imagine it like what Voldemort looks like at the very end of the last Harry Potter where he's like this pathetic creature under the bench. I don't know if you remember that scene, but he's gonna hold up this, this creature that is everything I ever feared. And it's gonna be like pitiable and 
and just heartbreaking, heart-wrenching as it like, it'll like take, it'll gasp for every single breath and just beg Jesus to put it out of its misery. And I'm gonna see Jesus Christ holding those fears for what they really are. And I'm gonna think that was what I was so afraid of my entire life. That was what robbed me of so much joy and peace in life. That was the thing that whispered so many lies into my ear every single night that I believed that I feared the wrong thing. And so I'm pleading with you guys tonight, do not fear the wrong thing in your life. Fear is real and I get that. Just make sure you assign it to the right thing. Fear God, fear him, fear, don't fear death, fear the one who has conquered death. Don't fear your future, fear the one who is currently in your future, the one who is holding your future just like this. Fear him and like an ocean, Stand in front of God with, with that fear, that tinge of fear, that something that powerful and majestic and awesome and mighty not only exists, but loves you. And let it fill your heart with wonder, man. Let that fill your heart with wonder. Remember, the, remember in Narnia how, how God is kind of represented by, represented by Aslan, the lion. And to me, lions are like in the same category as oceans. They're beautiful, awesome, and could kill you so quickly. Just so awesome, you know? And I had the privilege a couple years ago of going, of going on a safari. And when you go on a safari, you want to see like all the cool animals like you see in the Lion King. Like elephants and giraffes and rhinos and hippos. But more than anything, you want, you want to see a lion. And it's rare to see a lion. And, and for most of the day, we didn't. Until the very end of the day, like as the sun was setting in our last hour, we, we, we went around a corner and about 30 feet from us were these two fully grown lions just sitting in the grass and they locked eyes with us and just stared at us. And uh, nobody, nobody in our truck said anything. We all just kind of stared. And I'm thinking like, all right, like, dude, there's nothing between us and them. They could just come over here, right? Like. Are we serious? We're doing this right now? There's lions there. And somebody in the truck, I think, said, hey, couldn't they just like come eat us right now? And, and our guide, he just kind of laughed, but I noticed the whole time he never took his eyes off the lions for a second. He said, do you want to go? Do you want to get out of here? And everybody said, no way. Fear, absolutely. Danger, absolutely. Could anything have happened? 100%, yeah, but for every single person in that truck, man, there's not a single place in that moment that you'd rather be than in the presence of something that majestic and that ferocious and that powerful. It's like in Narnia, like Aslan in Narnia, Narnia is he safe? No, he's not. Is he dangerous? Yeah, he's very dangerous. Is he worthy of my fear? More than you know. Will I get hurt if I go over there? Maybe. Can't promise you won't, but here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that he is good and that he is worth it. Whoops. And so would you guys do this? Will you just, everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes just out of respect for other people in the room. I just, man, I feel so strongly today that there's some people in this room and, and maybe you felt this way for a while or maybe it's just a recent thing, but, but you know, man, you know deep in your heart that this God thing is real and you've probably known that it's real for a while and you have no idea why you're at this church, this Red Rocks church thing tonight and what you're doing here. You have no idea what, what, why you're here and, and maybe you're just exhausted. Maybe you're tired of continuing to put your hope in, in other things and coming up short with, with how they're paying off. 
Maybe you're just at the end of your rope tonight, just so worn out from life because life is hard. Life is hard, especially when the world is infected with sin. Life is not easy. And maybe you're in here and you feel that and you're just at the end of the rope. And let me just say to you, man, if you feel like you're at the end of, the, end of your rope, that, that probably is God's grace on your life tonight. That maybe you need to be at the end of your rope to finally just surrender to Him. And you're hearing about this God that we talk about that is so horrifyingly majestic and worthy of fear but you need to understand he he loves you so much he loves you so much and this is not about religion this is not about him getting you to come back to church or doing a checklist of things in your life or you even cleaning up your life it doesn't start there this is about him this god that we've been talking about the fact that he wants a relationship with you he wants to leave you to leave here tonight knowing him for your relationship to begin you can know this god and if you want him he's available no matter what you've done no matter what your list of screw-ups are, or all the ways that you feel like you're not worthy, join the club. You're in great company with every other person in this room tonight. And if you want a relationship with him, he is available, salvation is available. And I just want you right now, just to respond by sticking your hand up in the air right now. This is just you and God. That's awesome. Hands up everywhere. This is just you and him, the greatest decision that you will ever make. Uh, there's just no words for this, you guys. You're, a new life starts tonight for you. And I will pray for you in a second. I'll pray for you in a second. But everybody else, guys, we can, we can stand up right now. Stand to your feet. Here's what I want to say to you. Do not fear the wrong thing in your life. Do not fear the wrong things. Assign your fear in God's direction because he is worthy of it. Because if you fear the wrong thing, you're, you're gonna spend the rest of your life fearing the wrong things and, and you don't deserve that. Like he wants so much more for you than that. Fear is real. Fear is real, we get that. Just fear him, Feel the, fear, fear the one who is in charge of eternity, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear the one who right now, he's hanging galaxies across the universe for us to find with telescopes one day when we're smart enough to make bigger telescopes to see the galaxies that he's currently putting up there. Fear that God. Man, fear him and watch your life transform from being me-centered to being God-centered. Do you have any idea how fired up that gets God when your life becomes about him? How much that draws him to want to move like crazy in your life? And how much a group of 900 young adults who are God-fearing and God-centered, how much something like that would draw him to come and just light this place up with his passion and ignite Denver on fire with his passion as he lets a fear of him and a reverence of him fall on it so that the name of Jesus Christ is extolled throughout all of Denver, Colorado. Let's fear the God who is worth it, man, because fearing God gives rise to revival. Fear of God gives rise to revival. Fear the one who is not safe and be glad that he is good tonight, man. Let's sing to the one who has conquered death, the one who has given us the grace to stand in his presence perfect tonight, no matter what. I don't care, no matter what happened last night, you're perfect because of Jesus Christ. Sing to the God who is so 
the horrifyingly majestic God, I keep saying that, but I love that, who patiently created you, designed you, and then waited for you to love him back. Let's sing to him, man, because if God is for us, nobody's gonna be against us. I promise you that by his power and by the power of our worship, crazy things are gonna happen this year, and it's gonna start tonight. It already has started tonight. Crazy things are gonna happen. So tonight, sing like you believe it to the God who is worthy of fear. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you so much, God. And we just humbly come before you and say, God, you are bigger and we want it that way. You are, you are horrifying in so many ways. And I'm glad that you are because that means you're worthy of our worship, God. You're worthy of these words and these songs that we are going to sing to you tonight, God. And I know that the fear of you when it falls on a city in such a powerful way can give rise to revival and what you've got in this room is 900 young adults who are willing we say right now that we are willing god you do your thing you do it through us let us know what you're going to do we are on board and father we love you so much thank you for being so worthy of our fear and thank you for being so so good we sing these songs for you and we love you and we pray this in the powerful, horrifying name that sends shivers down the spines of darkness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.